0: This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. 14. Jack spent the evening going over the Bruges theft, comparing it to the incident in the Bellis server room. There was more information about the European crime by now, on the regular news boards as well as the specialized ones Jack had been paging through before. It seemed that the theft had been conducted by a pair of locals who had now gone missing. There didn't seem to be any link between the two prior to the incident. One was a service worker in a mid-range upgrade salon, and the other was an entertainment worker. Rowan, Jack thought. She was an entertainment worker from Bruges. Of course, that made as much sense as anything. More, really. Most of the analysis of the event had pointed out that the logic was quite poor, but only if the thieves cared about getting caught. If you had no thoughts of your own, why would you care about the logs, getting caught or having to disappear? Armed with this information, Jack did some more digging, trying to find any data that could prove or disprove this theory. She ran a search for Rowan's name, but came up with nothing she hadn't already seen. She scanned through the more speculative information about the Bruges theft, and finally came across some blurry images enlarged from satellite views of the area. The images were of predictably bad quality, and it would never be possible to identify someone from them alone. There wasn't enough of a face recognizable to run through the recognition programs to get a match, but Jack immediately saw the resemblance. It was Estella Rowan along with someone Jack didn't recognize, leaving the area with armloads of equipment. There was no question in Jack's mind that the image on her viewer, larger than life, albeit highly pixelated, was the same as the face she had seen when she struggled with Rowan's broken consciousness. On the other hand, the woman in the image Jack had seen when she searched through the public area of Rowan's mind was nowhere to be seen. Jack closed the image and turned her viewer off. She sat at her table, grieving for Rowan anew, She had never known the woman, maybe wouldn't even have liked her. Hell, there was no reason to think that they would have been friends, no reason to believe she was even a decent human being. Maybe she skimmed from her employer, cheated her clients, was mean to streeters. Still, Jack couldn't get past the images she had seen during her visit to Rowan's system. What must it have been like to have such a conflict inside your own mind? And what had happened to her body? It seemed like the kind of fate no one should have to endure. Jack took a deep breath, banishing the images from her mind. She couldn't help Estella Rowan any more than she could stop the earth from spinning. She could, however, track down the people doing this, and expose them or stop them or something. So she set her mind back to the task at hand, getting the evidence she needed and finding out as much as she could about the Red and the man she thought of as Black Eye. She copied all the relevant information about the Bruges heist to a local file, including the blurry image of Estella Rowan. She searched through her own cache in the hopes of finding an image of Rowan from Jack's visit to her consciousness. Jack chose to run the search in command-line mode, not wanting to relive the experience by seeing the images. Jack kept a fairly large cache file as a matter of course, so she was not surprised to find the record of her experience in Rowan's mind. She added the image to her report without looking at it. She sat up, cracked her neck, and got a beer from the fridge. She realized she hadn't eaten anything, and heated up a meal in the zapper. As she ate, she scanned the boards for any incidents similar to what had occurred in Bruges the previous week, and at Bellis the previous night. She had trouble narrowing the search down, as theft of equipment was common enough. She eventually ended up on the IA board where she had previously read analysis of the incident. She checked for any new posts on the Bruges topic and any related information. She scanned the posts one by one looking for any new leads or references to other incidents. She finally found it, a post by one of the intelligent agents linking other similar incidents. It was a hell of a resource, a list of similar events and links to more information about them. Jack followed all the links, and as she paged through the evidence collected by the agent, a clearer picture began to form in her mind. All over the globe, over the past month or so, strange thefts had been occurring, They were all brazen attempts, leaving obvious evidence of the assault. The reports were filled with images of disemboweled equipment, cables and wires in torn and tangled piles on the floor. In none of these incidents had the perpetrators bothered to hide their crime, but any security recorders or logs had been disabled or destroyed. The satellite image from Bruges was the best image of the thieves from any of the scenes. The targets were all over the map, geographically and in terms of their natures. There were various machine rooms of large firms, warehouses of parts for a major wholesaler, the back room of an upgrade salon. The common denominator was the equipment taken. It was exclusively disk. In total, enough memory was taken to power a small firm's server room. And both Jack and the agent who had collected these samples believed that this was just the tip of the iceberg. Surely only the larger targets had gone public with these thefts. And that was only because, with so many employees, someone was bound to leak the information. Their PR departments would be sure to put the information out first, to make sure that the correct spin was on the story. Smaller outfits would cover up the damage and pretend nothing happened, so as not to alarm their clients and investors. Jack wondered about this epidemic of theft and the stolen disk. It cost a bundle to get a huge pile of memory, sure, but the effort to subvert the logs and recorders wasn't free either not to mention the cost in human lives and minds. Jack couldn't imagine that many people would be enticed into such an act even by the amount of money it would take to buy that amount of disc retail, so it had to be some kind of coercion. Jack was convinced that the thieves were all under the same control as Rowan had been. It was the only explanation for why people would willingly put themselves at risk of arrest and have to essentially disappear after the crime. For the next hour, she mechanically ate her food and sipped at her beer while paging through the boards. If the woman in the building across the street sat at her window and increased her vision five times, she would see Jack sitting at her table, transfixed on something a million miles away that only she could see, occasionally feeding her body. That woman across the street would turn from the window, thinking what an unremarkable life Jack led, and carry on with her own evening plans. You could look in almost any window in almost any city in the world, and nine times out of ten you would see exactly the same scene. People, home from work, eating food to keep their bodies alive, while their minds and visions lived on the nets. They played games, visited with friends real and imaginary, did everything people did when they weren't at work. Jack was deeply immersed in her research when the Escher started flashing. "'Your timing sucks, Adrian,' she muttered aloud as she switched over to her 3D interface. She walked toward the flashing fish and noticed that it wasn't Adrian calling at all. The connection originated from the Bellis system. It was Jill. "'Hey, G. This is a surprise. I know you can't get enough of me. Laughter. Who could? I just thought I'd give you a teaser to tide you over till the morning. Such a kind-hearted guy.' So I was reading your report and wanted to check a few things. Such as? You went down there and saw it? Yep. And it's like the one from Belgium? Exactly. You know something I don't? I doubt it. You're looking into it now, aren't you? Yep. Get anything? Yep. Anything good? I think so. Are you going to share? I'll put it in the report. When are you planning on passing that on? A couple of days. Before the weekend. OK, good. Since when are you interested in this stuff? Always was, kiddo. Since before you were born, probably. Christ, I keep forgetting you're older than dirt. What's dirt? Funny stuff. See you tomorrow, champ. Later, dude. Jack disconnected and wondered what was up with Jill. He had helped her break into Byside and he had sent that message while she was off at the Red Party on the weekend and she was sure the conversations of the last week or so were the longest they'd had in the entire time they'd been working together. She knew he was as bored as she'd been at work, and maybe he was just finding this all to be a pleasant distraction from the ennui of work. Maybe she was just overanalyzing everything, or maybe she really was getting paranoid. She checked the time and groaned when she saw that she had less than eight hours until she had to be back at Bellis. She double-checked her report and saved it to an encrypted area in her system. She stripped off her clothes, then threw them in the autoclave on the way to the bathroom. She showered and sucked back a dose of sleeping juice. She started thinking about what it might feel like to have an alien program in your mind when she fell into sleep. If she dreamed, she didn't remember it. The next few days were nearly clones of each other. Work, home, research, then sleep. During the day, Jack was keeping half an eye on the logs and Jill's reports and the rest of her attention was focused on researching the red. After her shift was over, she would return to her apartment, stuff food in her face, and continue her studies. She was like a brainy child with a learning compulsion, or maybe it was more like an addiction. She couldn't stop herself. She started with the boring stuff, history and news reports. The red had been founded about a couple of decades previously, around the time that implants were becoming common. As integrated technology became more and more standard, The red stepped up their operations jack was surprised to learn that their first taste of notoriety came when a small group of people in asia got caught with a crate of stolen implants they had been reprogramming them and distributing them in the community the article jack found implied that the thieves were claiming to be members of the red as a justification for what the author believed to be outright theft for profit other members of the red who hadn't been involved had come to their defense though and argued that it was a social justice operation to redistribute technology to the un- or underemployed. As she read further, Jack guessed that the author of this article got it wrong. She found reports of several examples of red actions that were similar, refurbishing nodes salvaged from recyclotrons, leaving expensive gear in areas known to be frequented by streeters, a few other high-profile thefts that mimicked that first incident. Eventually, Jack got tired of reading the same old reports about the red, It seemed that only a handful of their activities got a lot of coverage on the mainstream news boards, and the same instances kept coming up over and over. Jack spent an hour or so scouring the boards and making clever small talk before she got a link to an internal red board. She paged over, but as soon as she arrived at the news site, she found that she wasn't able to authenticate to the board. She grinned and set to work. It took a whole evening. The next night, though, she paged over to the red board and could see it all. Images, 2D video, 3D immersives, and, of course, all the text she could hope to read. It was all one way, though. Jack had taken pains to make sure she didn't appear as a member on the board. She lurked in peace as she opened a few immersives detailing the recent projects in Paris and watched a video about a protest outside a nutrient block factory. After she had watched a few more... Jack realized there wasn't really anything in the videos that she hadn't seen at the event the previous weekend, so she started wading through the text content. The text archives were massive, and included everything from homegrown manifestos to articles on reprogramming implants to logs of chat sessions. Jack tried to focus on the policy documents, but she found herself gravitating toward the technical how-tos. After realizing that she had been reading a manual for an obsolete visual enhancer for over an hour, she refocused on the physical world and poured another glass of water. She downloaded the manual and several others like it, then returned to the manifestos and screeds. Like everything else she had learned about the Red, they were diverse and varied, from so moderate even Jack held more unconventional opinions to the extreme. Jack started alphabetically. On the fourth day of her studies, she was interrupted by the program that responded to the microrecorders. She had long since given up on learning anything from them, There had been no activity since she had dropped them in the various basement rooms at Bellis. But now, all of a sudden, the small monitor began to chirp, indicating that one of the recorders had picked up some motion and begun recording and transmitting. "'It's probably just some malfunction,' Jack thought, even as she switched away from the nets and brought up the recorder's visual images. At first she thought that it was, indeed, a problem with the recorder, as she could see nothing but an empty warehouse.' She was about to switch back to the nets, when a movement off to the right caught her eye. She switched herself to the full immersive view, and somewhat nauseously found herself seeming to stand in the middle of what looked like the equipment warehouse in the ninth sub-basement. At first everything was still. Then Jack saw a slight movement at what seemed to be the door. Because of the placement of the recorder, she couldn't see the door straight on. The recorder had landed off to the side of the entrance, so she was looking into the room from just to the left of the inside of the door. She instinctively craned her neck, but of course she couldn't adjust the angle of the view no matter how she moved her body. She saw a figure enter the room, its dark silhouette framed against the faint light coming from the open doorway. It moved into the room with a slow, shambling walk, headed straight for the racks of surplus or reserve servers. Jack held her breath, waiting to see what happened, when the door banged open and two more people lurched into the room. She had audio, but they made no sound except for a ragged breathing and the shuffling of their feet. The two newcomers followed the path of the first person in the room, and the three of them approached the servers. They seemed to stand there, as if they were waiting for something or someone else to arrive. Then, all of a sudden and in unison, they began to tear open the servers with their bare hands. Jack heard a small shriek of protest, then realized it was her own voice as she felt her body flinch from the view. The three of them were ripping open the servers their hands and nails getting cut and torn from the metal of the cases but even as they were clearly injuring themselves not one of them made a sound it was as if they could not even feel their own bodies they opened up the servers and ripped out the disc inside stuffing the memory into the many pockets of their clothes at this point jack noticed that they all wore Bellus uniforms thinking about it this should have been no great surprise as there was no way to access the sub-basements other than with current security clearance, but Jack still found it shocking. Jack watched in horror as the three intruders methodically destroyed every server in the room and ripped out the disk inside. It seemed to go on forever, but in less than five minutes after they began, the room was littered with cable, wires, and bits of metal from the cases. They scoured the room for any dropped or missed bits of memory, and in the process one of them turned toward the recorder. It was no one Jack recognized, but she got a good look and would be able to run the image through a program to identify the employee. It was a man who, as he approached, dropped a piece of metal on top of the microcorder. Jack involuntarily ducked, as the piece of case seemed to grow exponentially larger and fall on her head. She switched the viewer off and discovered that she was sweating. "'Damn it,' she said aloud. The look on that man's face was exactly the same as the man in Streeter's Alley, exactly the same as Estella Rowan's. Jack thought fast and sent a ping to Jill to alert him to the goings on downstairs. Before she had even decided how to explain the situation to him, the ping came back with an error. There was some kind of malfunction on the receiving end. Jack frowned and tried again while running a remote diagnostic. The ping returned the same error while she tried to log into the Bella system. Nada They're fucking with the network, Jack thought, frustrated just like in all the other thefts. She checked the time and realized that even if she got through to Jill, they would be long gone. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot c-a slash beautiful red or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com, and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnetune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website, send email to darusha at darusha.ca, leave a comment on the Patio Books site, or call the listener line at 206-984-2976.